right. Welcome, King of Kings. Glad to have everybody in the house tonight. We have some honored guests that we want to mention today. Um, why don't you go ahead and turn your phones off? Because the honored guests are here. You don't need to call them. Good. I'm glad you like that. We're off to a good start tonight. Praise the Lord. But listen, let me, let me do this first. Very honored people in the house tonight. Um, one of my mentors is here tonight. I believe in spiritual mentorship. I believe in discipleship, both one-on-one -on -one and in small groups and in large classroom settings. But one of my dear, long-time spiritual mentors and spiritual fathers is here tonight in the house, Pastor Don Fento. Thank you for being here today, Don. Thank you so much. We bless you. Don, uh, the founder of Caleb Company, pastor in the past of Belmont Church out of Nashville, and also Moses. Thank you so much, McDowell. Moses McDowell, I could have seen that McDowell face from anywhere in the crowd. I know your father served on boards with your father. It's like looking at him when I first ser started serving with him. That's what it looks like. Praise the Lord. We also have Pastor Carl Sutter here tonight from Foundations Church out of Loveland, Colorado. Welcome, Colorado folks, tonight. <laughs> Hallelujah. We have a great group tonight. Thank you, Pastor Chang, for helping us tonight, but we have a great group from Taiwan tonight, so hopefully the translation will go well. Thank you. Very polite of you, Taiwan. Good. Very polite clapping. Thank you. Watch the difference. I want you to see the difference in that polite clapping. Anybody from Brazil here tonight? See, I just wanted you to see the difference in those two things. I knew, I've done this, not my first rodeo. I know how it goes. I know which countries I gotta be careful with. I know which countries I gotta encourage along a little bit. Taiwan, very polite. Canada, you might not hear them. Brazil, you can't miss them. We're praying for Brazil today, big time elections going on. We gotta be in prayer for that. Also, we're praying, guys, for Israel this week. We have our elections on Tuesday. We know stuff is happening in the UK with the transition of power there again. We know what's happening in the United States. A week from now, midterm, so much is going on. Russia, Ukraine, we've got a lot going on. Anybody need Yeshua today? Yes. Apparently not. <laughs> Father, we're good without you. You can just move along. There was very few people in the house that night that wanted your presence. I'm gonna ask it one more time. Anybody need Yeshua tonight? Now we can move on. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Let me welcome everybody watching online tonight, Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, other platforms around the world. Welcome to King of Kings in Jerusalem. I'm also just going to mention some, some uh, honored people that are watching from Canada, Finland, Hungary, India, Ireland, Japan, Malaysia, Mexico, the Netherlands, the Philippines, Romania, Slovakia, South Africa, Sweden, Switzerland, Taiwan is here and online. United Kingdom, United States, Uruguay. We added at the end, Kenya came in right at the end today. And there's a couple of more that didn't tell us where they're from. We welcome you from all around the world. Today is your appointed time to be with us. Let's begin our time tonight with a survey. If you were paying attention, I think you were, today is where we change the clocks back. Daylight savings is over I think that's how you say that. And the clocks fell backwards one hour, which meant you got an extra hour in your day. Let's do a quick survey. Who used that extra hour to sleep? 
Father, forgive us for lying. Some of us didn't tell the truth on that one. How many of us use that to catch up on a little bit of personal business we had to catch up on? Yeah, a couple of people. Good. Stewards, good stewards. Proud of you. How many people use that for an extra time of prayer? That's right. Give these, give these superstars a little something on the way out, Ula. It's... Praise the Lord. So now that you feel super guilty, let's get into the Word of God. No, I'm just kidding. Don't feel guilty about that. Get rest. Decide on who you're voting for. God wants you to be part of this, part of the change. Ultimately, we know that there's only one king. There's only one kingdom. There's only one government. But yet he told us to steward it until his return. So we got to be involved in the elections. Make sure you vote. Listen, you're joining us tonight in a series that we've been part of for six or seven weeks now called The Source. We're pulling out verses of scripture that prove that Yeshua is the source of something. It's not just that he offers it to you, it's that he's the source of it. There is no other way to get it. It's not like Yeshua is an alternative that you could go to him or you could go to someone else to get this thing. But rather, when he is the source, he's the only place to go for the list of things that we're talking about. Just to recap, and you can catch it on the archives. He's the source of all good things, James chapter 1. He's the source of light and life, Genesis 1. The source of eternal salvation, Hebrews 5. The source of hope, Romans 15. The source of peace, Isaiah 9. The source of restoration, Revelation 21. The source of truth, John 14. But we dug into the word deep last week. If you missed it, go in the archive, pick it up. Here we go. Today we're going to start right from the beginning. Genesis 1 Verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. We're gonna break this down for just a moment, let, letting you get a good picture of the beginning because I like to always paint the big picture so you know how you fit into that picture. Theology is more sound that way because there's a consistency from the beginning of the Bible to the end. So we're going to break that down from the beginning. The earth seems to have already been created when that verse is spoken. Because it doesn't say there was nothing. It says there was something. It was empty. It was without form. Nothing was happening on it, but it was still there. Then the Bible describes something called the deep. The deep was present. It means it was already there. Whatever it is, it was there. The deep. And whatever this thing is had surface. You see, if it was just blank, void blackness, there would be no deep, there would be no surface, and there would certainly be no water on it. You see what I'm saying? So the picture that we get when the curtain opens is that something is there. It's not functioning correctly. It seems to have already been there for a while, but nothing's happening on it. And then Yeshua shows up. Remember what we always say. Yeshua shows up and says, let there be light. And there was light. 
And that light was not the sun, it was not the moon, because that's not created until day number four. The light that showed up in Genesis 1-1 was Yeshua. And he's going to fix the problem that nothing's happening on the earth that he created. He's going to fix that problem. And so he begins the creative process. All of the earth was covered in darkness, primarily because the earth was not exposed to Yeshua's light at that first moment until he spoke his own presence into being. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. You ever wonder where the first identification of the Holy Spirit came from? There it is. Yeshua is mentioned right there in the first verse. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in the very first verse. The voice of the Heavenly Father is mentioned in the first verse because he said, let there be light. And that voice is always the voice of the Almighty. It's the same voice that spoke at Yeshua's immersion in water, remember? We had Yeshua right there in the flesh. We had the Holy Spirit coming like a dove, and we had the voice of the Father from heaven. All three are present right here in the very first verse of the Bible. Now, there are some thoughts that possibly God had created this earth before, before we see it in Genesis chapter 1, and that he had given angels access to the earth. One of the reasons people think that and that it, it, it's possible is that perhaps even Lucifer himself had been given authority to oversee operations on the earth in its first created iteration. Now you say, well, I've never really dove into that much. Uh, wh what are we looking at to be a proof text for that? Well, it's interesting that Yeshua himself, in reference to Satan, calls him the prince of this world. Three different times. John 12, 14, and 16, Yeshua is referring to Satan as the prince of the world. That would seem odd to me, since Yeshua is obviously the king of the world, unless at some point in the past he had delegated some authority. Now, we know, of course, Satan abused that authority, and Yeshua took it away from him. Right? Satan thought he still had it. He took it from Adam and Eve. And when Yeshua was in the grave, the Bible says he went down to the depths, to hell and to Hades, and he took back the keys to hell and death. That means those keys were in hell. Meaning the person who held the keys probably thought he still had authority. And so Yeshua said, I'll take those back, please. I have all authority, not you. Remember, I'm the king. You were only a delegated prince who didn't do his job. But that would lead us to believe that in the past creation, perhaps Satan was somehow involved in activity. The angels were involved in some kind of activity on the earth. But in Genesis 1, it's dark. Everything is stopped. So whatever was is not happening the same way anymore. And that's where the picture paints and what we pick up here. It may also explain why Lucifer was given access to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. In a perfect world without sin, why was he even allowed to be there if he had not already received in the past some delegated authority to be there? 
It is a difficult concept, I understand. I'm with you on that. But there's a purpose behind it. Why demonic activity and sinful temptations are still active on the earth and why they were active even in the garden. You know, what's interesting, we get a few other verses that, that for a quick second, they shed light on this. Luke chapter 10, 18 and 19 says, Speaking of Yeshua's quote, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Why in a teaching around authority, follow me, does Yeshua refer back to Satan? Because there might have been a time where he had some delegated authority. But Yeshua says, but I was there when he fell. I saw him fall out of heaven, losing his authority. You see what I'm saying? Job gives us a little bit of a window into Satan's activity also in the past. Job chapter one, six and seven says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. He would never be allowed to do that if he had not been delegated the authority to do that sometime in the past. And so there's a thought that darkness was present because of what had happened before. And those in which God had stewarded the oversight of the earth had violated that stewardship. They were cast out of heaven, the fallen angels, with Lucifer. Yeshua says, I saw that day. I saw when he fell. And yet, for a moment, according to Job, Satan still had access to go talk to God at whatever time in the past that might have happened. And God says to him, where have you been? Well, I've been on earth. That's where I... That's where I go. That's why I'm in the garden. That's why I was in the serpent. That's why Yeshua might have called him, or maybe why Yeshua called him prince of this world. Temporarily. Amen? Amen. Now, what's the point of that background? Well, even though it is clear that there was some kind of history between God and his angels and Lucifer and his fallen angels and life on earth that had stopped for some period of time, what this means is that God had a vision and a plan to create in the ancient past. That's what it means. He created angels, including Lucifer, and the fallen angels before they fell. He created the earth and many other parts of this universe. He created them out of nothing. He created them out of nothing. He's the only being that can do that. Meaning that God is a God of vision. You need to know that about the Father. You need to know that about the king you serve. He is a God of big vision. That way back in history, when there was nothing, even before the earth that we're talking about showed up, there was nothing there. He had a vision. He had something he wanted to accomplish. He had something he wanted to create. 
He sees the future and he wants to create. And as soon as he wants to create it, he creates it. That must be an amazing feeling. The, the minute you decide, I had this debate one time with a, an eldership friend many years ago, and we were having dinner. I remember we were at a Chinese restaurant. Don't judge me for that. We were at a Chinese restaurant, and I said, when, when God was thinking about creating, and he got really upset, I said, God doesn't think? I said, oh, he doesn't think? I said, no, he doesn't think? As soon as he wants something, it happens. He doesn't have to think about it. And I don't know how that works, and when you're an omniscient, omnipresent God, I don't know how that works. But our God had some decision moment. If you don't like the word think, fine. He had some decision moment when he wanted there to be a creation and there it was. Because he's a God of vision. He doesn't just sit up in the heavenly places and do nothing. As a matter of fact, you're gonna find out by the end of tonight that he never does that. He never does that. And as being a God of a vision, he doesn't stop pursuing the vision just because the first time around, Lucifer pulled off a great rebellion and messed it up. He also doesn't stop the vision the second time around when Adam and Eve messed it up or when we messed it up. So he's not just a God of vision, he's a God of tenacity. If English is not your first language, lean over to somebody and say, what does that word mean? Tenacity. It means you don't give up. You don't know the word quit. He's a God of vision and he will never stop until the vision is accomplished. That's why he can say, my word does not return to me void, but it accomplishes everything I set it out to accomplish. Because his word will keep working until the vision is accomplished. He didn't stop just because Satan messed up iteration one. He didn't stop because Adam messed up iteration two. He goes on in Revelation to build a third one. You with me? Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. God keeps going because he wants his overall eternal plan to come forth. He's spoken it into being and there's nothing and no one that can stop his word from being accomplished. And whether it's Lucifer, the fallen angels, Adam and Eve, the, the, the various cycles that we've seen on earth that have messed up God's intended plan. Right now, friends, you are being prepared for his third cycle. The difference of the third cycle will be that Satan will be locked up for the third cycle. He wasn't locked up for the first one. There's some creativity happening in the second one because he's up and down, he's moving around. But the third one, he's locked up. He's thrown into hell. And if that weren't bad enough, then the Bible says, and God took hell and threw that into the lake of fire. The third cycle will be very different than the first two because 
there will be no more sin, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. The old things have passed away. Everything's become new and Satan is gone. This is what you're being prepared for. This earth is but a training ground for you. That's why you don't put a lot of value in it. Song we sang a while ago. There's nothing more worthy than you. Nothing. Nothing else is worth it except the source himself. But notice that God continues to create. He has a vision. He's going to accomplish the vision. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life, and that life is the light of all mankind. Nothing exists if God doesn't make it. Nothing breathes, nothing grows, nothing regenerates if God doesn't make it. Nothing cycles, nothing shines, nothing flows unless God gives it permission. Yeshua was in the beginning creating all of this. And nothing was made without him. I've told you this many times. It should not come as a surprise to you. When you read the scriptures and the presence of God shows up on the scene and somebody's physical body does something strange. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember? Right before the arrest of Yeshua and the soldiers come in to arrest Yeshua and they say, we're looking for Yeshua. Are you he? And he pronounces the Almighty's name, I am. Boom, at that moment, the Almighty's name was spoken and that soldier was thrown flat back on his back because of the power of the name of God. I'm pretty sure it messed up his theology too because coming into the garden, he didn't believe in that. Right? When he arrived at the garden, he did not believe that the power of God would do something to his body. But as soon as the word was spoken, boom, he's flat on his back. You might say, what do you think about it now? There's that, 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 that great scene I love with my kids in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've seen the live action play or if you maybe read the book or something. But there's that moment where there's a little animal and he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe in Yeshua being represented by Aslan the lion. And finally, he gets to see the lion right in front of him. And, 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 and Yeshua comes right up in front of the animal and he gives the biggest roar right in front of his face. And the little girl turns to the animal and says, do you see him now? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get it. I bet that's what happened to that soldier too. Let me give you a key phrase of the night. Because Yeshua made everything out of nothing, he is the ultimate source of vision. The incredible nature of thinking of things or creating in your mind or your spirit or however he did it, but to create it without an example. Think about how hard that is. We are made in his image, and so we have some of God's attributes. We have love. We have the need for relationship. We have communication. We have that creative spirit in us. But everything we create and everything Satan ever tries to create is nothing but a copy of something that Yeshua has already made. 
But think about being the one who was the first one to make it. And you had to come up with it out of nothing. There was no example. Right now we think about all the universe and the galaxies and the solar system. And of course, of course, you have to have a, you have to have a gaseous sun in the middle and then you have to have the moon and, I mean, and the gravity, you know how to, I mean, obviously. Can you imagine being the one who had to think to make that up? Where do you even get it from? This is my meditation. This is me and God talking this week. Where did you get that from? The circling and the gravity and the things. How did you do that? And the air and we're breathing it and we're, we're breathing it in and we give it out and then the plant needs it and the plant takes what we gave and he gives back oxygen and we breathe that in and that's a perfect cycle. God, did you really come up with that? And I just always get this picture of God like, not bad, huh? I said, I said in, our, in our prophetic team's prayer before service, I was just like, my opening prayer was, I'm so impressed. Not that you have any reason to even care to impress me, but God, I'm so impressed. Your creativity, your vision, your ability to bring it into reality. We create, but we, we just copy what God does. I was thinking about Somebody said this week they put turf in their backyard, astroturf, synthetic grass. And I was like, that's just a copy of grass. <laughs> we made planes. Oh, we're so smart. Planes are just birds. Come on. Oh, but we invented the computer. The computer's just a brain. God already made that CPU. He already thought of that. You're just copying that. I thought about the rain started and people popped open an umbrella. I was like, oh, an umbrella. I'm like, no, that's just a tree. I'm like, oh, that's right. We got that from a tree, didn't we? I thought, oh, we harnessed the power of water that God created and we made this great thing called a shower. And then God goes, you ever heard of a waterfall? Like, yeah, you did that too, didn't you? Okay. He makes everything we just copy. That's why he gets all of the glory. Yeshua did not only have a great vision for the universe, for the earth, and for life on earth, but he also had a vision for our lives. Get ready, buckle up. I'm coming for you now. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Look at how God thinks. He has a plan. He sees the future. He's headed somewhere and you better get on his train. And it's not just any future. It is a great future full of hope, full of prosperity. God is always thinking ahead because he's the source of vision. He doesn't just have a vision. He's the source of vision. The vision for your life doesn't come from you. It comes from him. It comes from the source. Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Look at this. When he's talking to Jeremiah about Jeremiah's plan, he doesn't say, 
Jeremiah, when you were a child before you were an adult, I had a plan for you. He doesn't say, Jeremiah, when you were in your mother's belly before you were born, I had a plan for you. He goes back even further. Jeremiah, before you were even in your mother's womb, I already had a plan for you. That's the kind of vision God has for your life. You are not a survivor. You are an heir to the kingdom. You are not a survivor. He did not create you to survive. He did not create me and be like, oh man, listen, I gave Chad some tools and some giftings. I hope he makes it. He's limping along right now, but maybe we can help him. That's not why he created us. That's not even how he created us. Genesis 1:26. then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let us make man that he will rule. That's why you were created. Whether it be this earth or the next one, you were never created to survive and barely make it. You were created to rule, and this earth is your training ground. Your character is being developed now because God already has a future plan for you, and he had that plan before you were in your mother's belly. He's got a plan for your future even back then. Why? Because God is a God of vision, and he cannot stop himself from having vision because it's from within him. It's not something he picks up off of a shelf. It's in him. It comes out of him naturally. He can't stop. My kids ask me, do you think God will continue to create after this is all done? Absolutely. The proof is in the text that he'll never stop because it's who he is. He may do it in a different way. He may do it in a different style. It may be something we don't recognize, but in himself, he always creates. And that's something you better grab onto. Some of us that are hoping to hold our breath till the, hopefully make it to the end. Friends, there's not an end. There is something that you are called to rule and reign over. I always tell that funny story about maybe you were called to rule over a planet. Is there a reason why the universe keeps expanding and God has billions and trillions of planets and stars, but only people on one little earth? Oh, you might be called to rule a planet. I said, Pastor, that just sounds ludicrous. I can't even imagine you would say something so ridiculous and you're still standing in front of the pulpit. It sounds ridiculous that God would create a human to rule a planet, except that he's done it twice. What makes you think he's not gonna do it again? There's more proof in the text that he will do it than proof that he won't do it. Sit before the Lord and let that marinate a little bit. Romans 8, 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with the Messiah, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We should be seeking the Lord on a personal level about what is your plan for me? What is your vision for my life? How do I become 
an heir of the kingdom. How do I get from today, which I, I may not think very much of myself right now, and that's fine. How do I get from here to becoming an heir in the kingdom? Do you understand what an heir means? Do you understand that when the king gives the scepter over to his heir, the heir is now the one with the scepter, the crown, and the one sitting on the throne? You were created to sit on a throne. Now, all of us know that there's not one thing we've ever done to ever earn any of God's love or his salvation. Not one thing. And so we're smart enough to know, as the scripture says, that when he hands us that crown, what do we do? Give it right back. Yeshua, that's your crown. And there'll be this little dialogue, no, you take it. No, you take it. You, you take it. No, it's yours. Eventually, we'll end up with some kind of crown and some kind of scepter and some kind of throne because we're called to rule and reign. We're heirs of the kingdom. You better know where we started. I told you the beginning, and now I'm telling you the end. That's where you're going. So now your life needs to have purpose in the middle. You need to have vision for what God is making you into. Now, we are made in the Father's image. We have his attributes. We have emotions and thoughts, desires to relate with others, to love but we are also called to be a people of vision. Check this out, Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. That's the King James version of that. If you don't have vision, you're gonna perish. If you've ever wondered why you, struggle, you might struggle with certain areas of depression or, or constant sadness or chronic fatigue or whatever, you know, whatever it may be that you're suffering with, just un general unhappiness, you ever stop and ask God, what is your vision for my life? Because you were created for a specific purpose. And any time a creation doesn't do the purpose for which it was created, it's never going to feel right. It's never going to feel right if you don't do the very reason you were created. David knew God had a purpose for his life and he asked God for help. Listen to this, Psalm 57, verse two. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. David didn't try to come up with the purpose. He cried out to God, you have a purpose for me, help me to do it. That's the right prayer. God, you have a purpose for me, help me to do it. Fill me with the spirit, fill me with your word, fill me with your presence, help me to do it. I made up a new word this week. You know I like to do that, right? Sometimes I do it on accident, but usually it's a pretty good word. Like it really fits the situation. And I came up with one that, I may be wrong. Listen, everybody here, you're welcome to email me this week if I did not make up this word. I'm not trying to take credit for the word if I didn't make it up. It just felt like I made it up in the moment. Online, I'd love to hear your responses as well. Get everybody getting their thesaurus app out right now. Everybody's got their dictionary app. Well, I'm going to check him out. What did he make up this word? You know, when I was thinking about, we were not created to just be survivors. We were not created to be existers. Existers is my word of the day. I don't even know if that's a word, but it sounds right, doesn't it? Like, we, we were never created to be existers. People who just hang on. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna rapid fire you on what God said you are. And I want you to really 
lock in and lean into this one. This is what God says you are, and if you disagree with him, you have the problem, not him. Romans 8, 17, you are heirs with God and co-heirs with the Messiah. Verse 37, you are more than conquerors. 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. 1 Corinthians 5, you're ambassadors to God's kingdom. Deuteronomy 28, you are the head and you're not the tail. Galatians 4, you are sons and daughters of the king, which means you are princes and princesses of his kingdom currently. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are the temple of God itself. When God had a vision to create, that's what he envisioned. The animals are helpers, the land, our helpers, the planets, our helpers, but when he had vision, that's what he envisioned for every one of you. And anytime the enemy tells you you're not one of those things, your job is to tell him, stop lying to me. It's the only language you know is lies. The Bible says it's his native tongue. And like our father, who's a source of vision, we are called to be people of vision. Hallelujah. Actually, there's actually, I'm not gonna go deep into it, Luke chapter 19, but there's a moment in the scriptures when Yeshua is giving a parable where he actually chastises people for not having vision. Remember the talents? What did you do with the talents I gave you? Oh, I went out and I made 10 more. Oh, good job. What did you do with the talents I gave you? I went out and made five more. Good job. What did you do with the talents I gave you? I didn't do anything with them. I hid them. God said, take it away from him. He's not a man of vision. We are called to be people of vision because we are made in our Father's image and he is the source of vision. Worship team, come help me. Please. Let's turn it to a personal challenge before we close. What is your vision for your relationship with God? Do you, do you wake up and hope it goes well? Like, fingers crossed, I hope something happens today between me and God. Or do you have a vision to wake up, open your Bible, get that quiet time in, realize that there ain't nothing better going in your mouth than is going in your spirit. There's not a better shower you're gonna take with natural water than the shower you're about to take in the washing of the word. There's not more power in you getting some exercise physically than the power you're gonna get being infused by the Holy Spirit. What is your vision for your relationship with God? It doesn't just accidentally happen and fumble forward. You gotta have a plan. And the more aggressive you get after pursuing God, the more happy he is. He's not afraid of you. He's happy. Go after him. What is your vision for your relationships with others? We're in the middle of a discipleship series right now. I hope you'll join us on Wednesday night for our discipleship class, Rediscovering Relationships. A lot of us have forgotten how to do that. And if we let that go, we've let go of a major piece of our vision and calling. We were created for relationship. What is your, what is your vision for your marriage? Are you hoping it? Man, I hope it lasts you don't hope it lasts. You make it last. You make it rich. 
You invest into it. You think about these things. You have a vision. Be people of vision. Do you have a vision for your children? Are you going to let the world have them? Because right now, the world's got them. It's got them eight hours a day at school. It's got them another four hours at night on media devices. And your 45 minutes at congregation on the weekend is not fighting against those 12 hours every day. What's your vision for your children? How are you going to organize their schedule so that they are enriched in the presence of God? What's your vision for the ministry here to serve others, to plug in, to outreach and touch the unbelievers? What's your vision for your community group, your small group? What's your vision for your workplace environment? You don't just go to work to survive. You're not an exister. That's a harvest field. There are people there that need Yeshua. What's your vision for that? How are you going to tell them? What's your plan? How about we make a commitment today that we're, we're done with the life where we just wake up in the morning and hope it goes well. What if we actually woke up on purpose like we meant to and have a plan? Because you know who has one? God. He has a vision and a plan for your life every day. What are your vision for finances, for tithing, stewardship, for your health, becoming that physical temple of God? What is your vision? The only person that gets excited about you not having vision is Satan. Seek the Lord. What is his plan for your life? Ask him like David did. Help me fulfill my purpose, God. Review all of these areas in your quiet time tomorrow and see what God would say. We're becoming people of vision. And the reason why, I'm going to jump way to the end now, the reason why is because when God sets you in as the ruler, as the heir, he expects you to have vision for the thing he just gave you. If you don't have vision and you just bury it, he's going to take it away. That's what the text says. He'll take it away. You better have vision for whatever it is he delegates to you. Practice now. What is your vision for all of these areas in your life? Let's close with a couple of scriptures. Psalm 121, 3 and 4. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God rests because he appreciates what he's made. He does not rest because he's tired. Our final verse, John 5, 16 and 17. So because Yeshua was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, Yeshua said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. God is a God of vision. He's the source of vision. He created you to have vision. And he's going to give you the keys to the kingdom one day, and he's going to expect that you have vision for that thing that he delegated to you. Whether it be a city, a continent, or a planet. Whatever it is he gives to you, you better have vision. Practice now. Be conformed to his image now. Let's pray and receive this. I think there's a prophetic word that needs to be spoken over this somehow. 
Prophetic team, just keep your antennas up for a little bit. Don, you're free also if anything comes to mind. Father, forgive us for walking blindly through this world. Forgive us for being aimless in this world. The Bible speaks about the warning of aimlessness. We receive the example of Yeshua on earth where he was so steadfast in his vision that you could not distract him from going to the cross. Satan couldn't distract him in the desert. The Pharisees couldn't distract him. Even the disciples couldn't distract him. He would say, get behind me, Satan. I will not be distracted. I have vision. I know what I've come to do. Father, would you help us today? I'm going to ask that anybody in the house tonight that wants to receive this from God, just stand to your feet as a sign of faith. You don't have to. No one's forcing you. If you want to stay seated, stay seated. But as a sign of faith and receptivity, just stand before the Lord and your king is in the room right now. Would you stand for your king? Father, give us vision. Give us purpose. Let us know what you created us to be long before we were in our mother's womb. Some of us are already walking in it and some of us are lost. Prayer partners, come on down to the front. Get yourself ready to pray over our friends and members today. Hallelujah. We're gonna go back into a season of worship and during that time, if the Lord wants you to come down and get prayer, just come down. If the Lord is sensing to just have you in a moment of worship with him and he's, he's downloading something to you, then stay in that moment. Do not rush this. This is why you came tonight, for this moment, the interaction with God. God, give it to us now. Holy Spirit, boom. Tenley Eshley Paul, give us your fire. Let it fall upon us. Give us vision and purpose, clarity, steps, steps. What should we do, God? Let us be good stewards. Hallelujah, such a good God. We bless you, Lord. Let's worship for a little bit, and then Pastor Mike will come and close us in just a few minutes.